From the courtroom to the tabloids, welcome to All Rise, the podcast that lets you be the jury. We will discuss and debate provocative celebrity news stories, court cases, political controversies, crime, and other hot topics of the day. With on-the-scene correspondence, officials directly related to the issue, and a panel of guests that will leave no evidence to the imagination, All Rise swears to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Your host... Dylan Howard. The shame of abuse by US troops in Afghanistan. This is the most horrific story you will ever hear. Plus, on this episode of All Rise, we go straight to the centre of the Russia debate. The man, the myth, Roger Stone. Was he working in concert with the Russians to release Hillary Clinton's emails and therefore wreak Havoc on the US election. It's an exclusive interview on All Rise, Season 1, Episode 2. Now, I've covered plenty of stories that are horrific in their nature over the course of two decades as a reporter, but I've never seen anything quite like our next story. In my hands, as I talk to you right now, are a series of photos. In one of them, a rogue American soldier is seen loading up an enemy corpse with deadly explosives. The next one shows him pulling the trigger, and the next one shows the mutilated war dead. These are images that have been heroically given to us by a whistleblowing ex-US Army sergeant who uncovered this evidence this shameful battlefield desecration near the Afghan and Pakistani border during his 2003 tour of duty. That man is married father of six, Ronald Logan, who now resides in Spring Lake, North Carolina. Ronald, thanks very much for joining us here on the podcast. Yes, sir. Please tell me, for those at home, I tried to describe, in essence, what I see with these images, which is the shame of abuse by US troops in Afghanistan. But you have an unbelievable story to tell. You have sat on these images for years. Tell our listeners what these images show. Uh, yes, sir. Um, well, I, I would like to just enlighten it just a little bit more. Uh, while in 2003, while we was deployed, we was out on a forward observation base and we was being rocketed daily. So I guess rumors started spreading that uh, somebody or people was blowing up bodies and the rumors got so bad that it went, it got to the higher, higher echelon. So they sent down a colonel the day before uh, we had a briefing and said, look, there's nobody blowing up no dead bodies here. Don't nobody talk about it. Don't nobody express nothing to anyone. Uh, about two or three days later, Geraldo came out to the forward base. Geraldo was in Geraldo uh, Riviera from Fox News. Yes, Geraldo Rivera from Fox News. So I thought maybe he was out there to get the information as well. We all did, but we was already brief. Don't talk to him. Just let him come in, do his thing, and leave. So that's what we did. But uh, about a week after that, uh, our commander came in and told us I was one of the IT guys. So they told us to go in and wipe and clear any 
unauthorized images on every laptop that every soldier had on the base, personal and military. So that's what we did. Now, when we came across these images, it, it, it disturbed me tremendously. Let's break this down, Ronald. Uh, you say that you rounded up all of these images as part of an attempt to cover up what you knew was happening at the base, and that was that the enemy combatant was being blown up deliberately by U.S. troops. Uh, I tell you, yes. Uh, at that time, I guess being that I was so full of, uh, I didn't care for the enemy at all. So any means that was necessary, I didn't have a problem with. But what ended up happening, uh, like I said, years later, I, I didn't know how much these photos was going to affect me. I didn't know how much all the stuff that I went through was going to affect me. So when the colonel said that we're going to make sure we clean all these computers and make sure nothing be found, I didn't know there was something to be found. So when the images came up and it was told, and he told us that we need to make sure that this stuff get be disposed of, I, I kept it. I, I, I did not delete it because I said, no, this ain't right. And I knew it at, at that time I wasn't planning on doing anything with it. So here it is, 15 years later, I actually, you know, talked to my mental doctors, told them what we did, told them what was done, told them what I saw, and they virtually pretty much just kind of blew me off because, I, you know, they wanted to chapter me out versus trying to take care of me. You say the U.S. Army was alerted to what it's pretty plain and simple when you look at these images are vile war crimes. You tried to blow yeah. the whistle and you were, as you said, chaptered out. What does that mean? Okay, uh, I wasn't blowing a whistle. I was simply going to my mental appointments to express the things that I seen and the things that were done that arranged. And my mental doctor told me that I was lying. And being that that person had never been deployed, I really took offense to it. So, but to make a long story short, um, prior to me actually talking to all the mental doctors, I actually attempted suicide and I asked my wife to dispose of the hard drive because I didn't want the military to get in trouble or no one to even know that they photos even exist. So I actually called myself trying to take care of the army, even though the army after 23 years chaptered me out and said the hell with you. So why did so, you, why did you come forward then? If well, I on your I own, came, on your own admission, you believed at uh -huh. the time that there was nothing wrong with what your fellow soldiers were doing in the line of work, in the field. You had nothing wrong with it, and 15 years later, you wanted to protect the Army. Why did you come forward and tell your story now then? Well, I came forward now because uh, just to find out, uh, while I was being chaptered at the Army, uh, my, my mental doctor passed my, my mental information to the prosecutor. And I believe, I truly believe they used what I said or what I discussed with my mental doctors as a way to put me out. And 
personally, I think that's just wrong. Every soldier should have a chance to be able to keep their mental or they, uh, the information that they express in group therapy or therapy should stay between themselves and the doctor. Now, in full disclosure, as part of reporting this story out, we reviewed some 231 photos and 24 official U.S. Army documents, many of which supported your version of events, Mr. Logan, but there were some accusations that were levelled against you, charges of sexual misconduct, and that you're accused of attempted rape in 2015. A court-martial resulted in your demotion to a private. Are you contending that that sequence of events was a conspiracy to shut you up from disclosing okay. these shame, shameful allegations? Okay, I was falsely accused of rape, but I, during my court-martial, I was reduced from E7 to E4. And at that time, I should have been allowed to medically retire. I completed a complete medical evaluation board or physical evaluation board. I was 40% disabled from the Army and 100% total and permanent with VA. And I was told that I must medically retire. But my command, which was the medical command, decided that they didn't want me to have anything. So they reduced, they put me in for a chapter that was separate from my actual uh, court martial. The chapter, they used the same exact charges to chapter me out that I got when I went through the court martial. So they actually canceled my medical retirement and they wouldn't let me regularly retire because I had 23 years of military service. And they decided they was just going to put me out that way. So it ain't really, it's me now. I've been going to a, uh, I got my own private mental uh, doctor now. And she said that the only way that I can release or get rid of some of all this anxiety and all this, this anger and all these issues I have is, is that I need to express it and I need to tell it because it's eating me alive and I can't sleep. I stay up pacing all night. I'm, I'm, I'm just a mess. Mr. Logan, stay with us. I, I got to say, as I hold these images, it is a gruesome display they are revolting. And, and I must say that even as we discuss this, we must understand that we applaud the sacrifices of America's service members and the dangers they endure, especially given that there are more than 200,000 uh, army combatants still overseas. And I don't think anyone takes any pleasure in talking about a story like this, but corruption must be exposed even at institution such as the U.S. Armed Services. And to that point, uh, joining us on the line is Matt Pinsker, a U.S. military judge, advocate general, and also here in New York City with me, Ralph Ortega, who is a national correspondent for the National Enquirer, who first investigated this story. Matt, first to you, uh, when you hear the words of Ronald Logan, you've seen these images. What is your immediate reaction? Just hearing it, there's a level of skepticism because there would have to be a lot of people involved uh, for this type of uh, cover-up. A lot of potential witnesses, the idea of going through and just wiping every hard drive on base. Uh, I'm just very skeptical. Now, again, if I maybe I, my mind would be changed if I were to look at more information, more documents, but I'm just very skeptical of the scale of this. And there should be, though, uh, you know, very good records, other people willing to come forward. 
As for just the legal opinion itself, uh, there's no question whatsoever, though, that these allegations, if true, would uh, be war crimes. Uh, under any definition uh, that you look at it, uh, there'd be universal agreement that this does qualify as a war crime. Uh, you know, people wonder what's a war crime. In short, it's just a crime committed in wartime, whether you're a civilian desecrating dead bodies or in the military in time of war desecrating dead bodies is a criminal act. In fact, under uh, the Military Commissions Act of 2009, uh, number is it subsection 20, intentionally mistreating a dead body. It basically states that any person who uh, you know, intentionally mistreats a body of a dead person, again, without justification by uh, legitimate military necessity, shall be punished as a military commission under this chapter may direct. And there's a lot of international conventions and treaties out there, uh, some of which the U.S. is bound to do, some of which we are not. But the, again, the, there's universal agreement, though, that you are to treat with respect the bodies of enemy dead. When you actually see these photos and you see that there is deadly explosives placed next to an enemy combatant, how can you be skeptical of that? Well, I was, uh, I'm looking at the pictures right now online on the website. The pictures I'm looking at are somewhat blurred, I guess, you know, because of their shocking and graphic content. So uh, I guess that's why I'm not quite seeing it with the clarity you are. Well, Mr. Logan, let me uh, ask you. Uh, Mr. Pinsker says there would be no legitimate reason to load these bodies up with explosives. Why did they? Their belief was if you blow up the enemy body, that they won't, they will be stuck in purgatory. Now, I had no idea what purgatory meant, but I knew if it was something that the enemy was scared of, it would also help stop them from blowing, from uh, sending rocket ends to us daily. So essentially, but, the desecration of a body would send a pretty, uh, for want of a better a phrase, clear message, a clear, clear message. message to the enemy to stop sending in rockets. Do you have any now, reason, uh, Mr. Logan, to share the skepticism of Mr. Pinsker? Uh, well, no, I don't have a reason to because when I heard the rumors at first, I didn't really know if any of it was true or not. But when you're on a small fob, uh, forward, uh, forward observation base. When it's small, everybody starts talking. The chatter is loud. So Ralph Ortega, who is a national correspondent for the National Enquirer, as you went to press uh, with this two-month investigation and the findings, the evidence that you uncovered was said to be in the hands of army chiefs. What are they doing with it? I uh, reached out to uh, the Army uh, Criminal Investigation uh, Unit, and uh, they said that they already had uh, heard or had had been uh, looking to uh, investigate this possibility, that there was body desecration, and they were very interested in knowing uh, uh, more about our investigation and uh, if they could actually see the images. So um, I've I worked with you, Dylan, and uh, we provided them the uh, alleged uh, the images of the alleged body desecration, which they said would help in their inve- uh, into looking and finding out whether they are legitimate, and to find out who would exact who exactly is responsible for them. So, Mr. Logan, have you heard from investigators at Quantico, the Criminal Investigation Command? I haven't heard anything from them since, because I told them to just read my records 
and I don't need to talk to him because it's written. Matt Pinsker, what happens in a situation like this moving forward? The uh, CID, as, as has been explained, are in possession of these images now. They're in possession of Mr Logan's claims. What happens from here on in? Sure. Well, if you say example of what would happen, you know, I can refer you to a case where a couple of Marines were busted urinating on the corpses of some enemy soldiers, I think, in their mouths. Uh, there's a photo of it. So what happens is, yes, like anything else, this report of a crime, it's investigation. What's great is that when the whistleblower says he was there at the scene, they know when he was there. They know who he was with at the time, everyone at the base. Uh, so they can go, uh, you know, find them, uh, interview them. Many of them would still be in service. I'm sure it's very reachable. Others, even if they brought civilian lights through the VA and get there and, you know, get to them to, uh, you know, ask them what happened, what they know. And if the claims are true, uh, just like with the Marines uh, I mentioned earlier, that they would do is they would find out who is responsible for this action, what level of culpability, who had knowledge, who had an obligation to report, who didn't. And they would either, you know, some people who moved on, you might not be able to do anything for, uh, at least, at, you know, in the military courts. But uh, they still in the military, they could definitely bring punitive measures against them. It could be a courts martial. It could be administrative separation. And of course, for civilian, those who are not civilians, there are still ways they could be, uh, you know, if they want to bring criminal prosecution against them, they absolutely could if they find the claims are substantiated. And just like whether it's a military commission, a courts martial, or a civilian criminal ca- uh, case, though, they'd have to prove their case beyond reasonable doubt. And I'm just thinking, uh, you know, interjecting as an attorney is that what you'd have to do is authenticate those images. You'd have to show that they, you know, actually show what uh, they claim to show that they were taking at the time at, from that scene. So I'm just thinking about some evidentiary issues if I were a prosecutor to defend this case. But the main thing is, just like any, just, just like a regular crime committed, like an armed robbery at a local store, you investigate it, you talk to potential witnesses, and you build the case. What do you hope comes of uh, your desire to come forward to Ralph Ortega and tell your story. You know what? I I, I tell you just like this. Uh, that that uh, that military soldier there, or uh, that lawyer, he sounds just like what I've been hearing for um, 23 years. And that is why soldiers never come forward with any information about anything because we live with it and we die with it. But this time, I chose to live. And what I want is if the military could just simply help those soldiers that come forward and talk to these mental doctors with this information and actually try to help them versus saying, okay, well, you you didn't rape anybody, but we're going to put you out anyway. So it's just simply one of those things. Help the soldiers that talk to you about these incidents, and we can say incidents, because that's what they made mine sound like. It was just an incident. But I have more. This is just the beginning of me starting to talk about the things that I've been holding in. So I don't care if anybody believes it, but I'm going to get it out of me so I can heal. And that's what I want for all the soldiers that come back from these tours, to have the ability to heal and talk and get this stuff out of them. Well, Ronald Logan, thank you very much for your time. And Matt Pinsker, to you too. Uh, 
a representative of the US military judge advocate general speaking to us, not in his official capacity, but nevertheless, we do appreciate your insight and to Mr Logan, your brave storytelling as well and your service to the country is much appreciated. Oh, I loved it. Thank, Thank you, you gentlemen. Ralph, uh, that was uh, a pretty fascinating discussion to have uh, Ronald Logan on one hand say, I know that the Jag's not going to believe me. They never have, but he's still going to tell his story. Harrowing details about how he uh, tried to commit suicide as a result of this deep and dark secret that he carried on his shoulders for more than a decade. Yes, Dylan. Um, Ronald has suffered a lot. Uh, nearly, we're talking nearly a quarter of a century of service to the army, to his country, and um, he he's a complicated man. He's uh, he's re- he's in recovery from the experience he had uh, witnessing uh, these horrific images. Uh, being in an environment where he was being, where shells were constantly dropping on, on him and his unit, he was frightened out of his mind, and it led him into a very dark place, uh, where he held on to these images, knowing that if they, that if that there was something that was very wrong, something very wrong about the fact that they were allowed to happen. So, holding on. Make to- no mistake. I've looked at these images. They're not a fake. They are not. Uh, in any way uh, fake. The metadata confirms the authenticity of these images. Mr. Logan um, has subjected himself to critical scrutiny from us about the legitimacy of them. And though he may be a flawed character in terms of providing testimony, his evidence speaks for itself. So the uh, criminal unit of the army is investigating. Do you think anything's ever going to come of this, though? I think uh, since there's been a suggestion of a cover-up that the CID is going to be very, very careful about really uh, exploring all the possibilities here regarding these photos. They are going to question whether or not they were a novelty that somebody purchased and kept on their laptop. They're going to question Mr. Logan's credibility. Um, Eventually... I think what we'll get to the bottom of is what, where these photos came from and who actually took them. So they, I agree with you. They, they are real. They are horrific. And they exist. So Ronald Logan has discovered them. Now we need the Army to, to fully explore and tell us what, you know, exactly how this came about. A fascinating story, deeply tragic too, uh, one that you spent many months investigating. Congratulations on your reporting. It's obviously odd to say congratulations on your reporting with such a, a harrowing tale, um, but it's going to be fascinating to see what comes of this criminal investigation into the alleged desecration of enemy combatants in uh, the war field and war zone in 2003. Ralph Ortega, thank you very much for joining us here on All Rise. Thank you, Dylan. It's been a pleasure. And coming up after a short little break, we'll be talking to the man that everybody wants answers from with regards to Russia, collusion, Donald Trump, Where in the world is Roger Stone? Get me Roger Stone.
All right, our next guest is somebody who has been at the eye of the political storm for many, many months now. He is a man who has been described as a political dirty trickster and a man who helped catapult Donald Trump from Trump Tower in New York City to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. He is the subject of a documentary on Netflix titled Get Me Roger Stone. Before the break, I did ask for someone to get me and joining me online now is indeed the man himself, Roger Stone. Now, Roger, you've been at the centre of much discussion about whether or not you were involved with WikiLeaks and the release of thousands of emails of presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. Now, it emerged last week that you had written an email to a colleague suggesting that you were having dinner with Julian Assange, the founder of WikiLeaks. You've since walked back that comment, but I ask you this question. Why write it in the first place? Uh, because it's a joke. Uh, you have to understand that in this particular case, I was working with Sam Nunberg, who only recently became well-known to the American people through a series of incredible disastrous media interviews. And uh, Sam is a very intense, almost neurotic guy, fired twice by Donald Trump. He was originally hired as a researcher writer. He got fired because he let uh, McKay Coppins, a a reporter, get a little too much access to Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago. Coppins wrote a devastating, withering piece in which he said Trump would never run for president. How does that piece look today? Uh, and then uh, he fired Sam. I persuaded the president, then Donald Trump, to rehire Sam. Uh, and uh, Sam got fired a second time when it was learned that he had posted uh, racist uh, email posts on his Facebook page. But uh, Sam's a very intense guy, meaning when we were working together, he would sometimes call you 30, 40 times a day texting you, emailing you constantly one Friday afternoon, very late in the day, when I was trying to get him off the phone, he said to me, uh, so do you have plans for the weekend? And I said, yeah, I think I'll fly to London and have dinner with Julian Assange. It's a throwaway line, a joke, something you say in jest. Clearly, my passport, customs records, airline records, um, the security cameras uh, outside the Ecuadorian embassy would all indicate that I never had dinner with Julian Assange. In fact, I've never met him or spoken with him. Uh, When I realized that Sam took this seriously, I milked the joke in an email. Now, you have to recognize after Sam was terminated by Donald Trump, he became very strongly pro-Hillary Clinton, uh, and he spent most of his time trying to leak negative information about the Trump candidacy to his friends in the media. Uh, and therefore, that I think explains his motive. I am and remain loyal uh, to the president. I am his strongest supporter. Uh, Sam, at that point, was uh, opposing the president. Uh, and therefore, the phone call and the email is a jest. I understand that. I'd have to say, yep. I understand. So go ahead. I, I understand that, and and the 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 August 4, twenty sixteen email read in part quote I dined with my new pal Julian Assange last night. This email was presented to the Wall Street Journal. Was Sam Nunberg the source of that? Yes, most definitely. They even admit it. But even then, the Wall Street Journal misquotes the email. They don't even quote the email properly. So first, the Washington Post 
misquotes what I said. I said, I, want, I think I'll fly to dinner and have dinner with Assange. The Washington Post reports that is, I think I'll fly to London to meet with Assange. Well, you may not think there's much difference, but one is more jocular than the other. Clearly a joke. The so, email is the milking of the same joke. The Wall Street Journal obviously used this email in a report to suggest that special counsel Robert Mueller, uh, who, as we know, is investigating links between or alleged links between the Donald Trump campaign and Russia. They used this email, according to the Wall Street Journal, as a source of investigation. Is it a source of investigation for the special counsel? And have you spoken to the special counsel about this email? Well, we have no way of knowing whether it is the focus of their inquiry. Remember, the Wall Street Journal source is Sam Nunberg. How credible, how stable, how uh, reliable is he as a source? At the end of the day, however, um, I produced for the Wall Street Journal documentation that on the three days in question, August 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, that I was in Los Angeles. Uh, I showed them airline uh, tickets. Uh, I showed them a uh, hotel uh, credit card receipt. I showed them uh, restaurant uh, receipts, again, on my credit card that proved uh, that I was in Los Angeles on those three days. On August 4th, I did an interview with Alex Jones and Dimple, referenced the fact that I had just taken the red eye back from Los Angeles. Now, I'm very, very good, but even I am not capable of being in two places at once. Isn't the burden of proof then, I mean, this comes back to the long-held argument of the president about uh, fake news. Isn't the burden of proof on someone like the world, uh, an organization like the Wall Street Journal to actually investigate whether or not there is video or photos of you entering the Ecuador embassy in London or indeed other evidence, uh, contemporaneous evidence that would disprove such a stunning claim? Yes, I think that's correct. So a legitimate news organization and a real journalist would examine the evidence. And when they saw my passport showed that I had never left the country at all in 2016, or 2015 for that matter, uh, that I was able to produce receipts that demonstrate that I had flown to, stayed overnight in, and dined in Los Angeles in the three days in question, they would have dropped to the story. But that doesn't fit the fake news narrative that, uh, that you know, I somehow colluded with Julian Assange, who they claim falsely is a Russian asset, they can't prove that either, uh, to assist in the election of Donald Trump. And therefore, they write a story that is false on the face of it, and then that gets picked up in turn by the Slates, the Salons, the Daily Beast, the other fake news publications, again, without confirmation or corroboration. The charge becomes the fact. This is the problem with the new journalism. Evidence and proof, corroboration, those things no longer matter. The charge itself becomes the proof. It's really very shoddy. So let's talk about the uh, special counsel's investigation into alleged collusion between uh, the Trump campaign and Russia. You said earlier that the claim is Julian Assange, the founder of WikiLeaks, was an asset of the Russian government, a claim that, at least on the surface at this point, has yet to be proved. Um do you believe that you are the focus in any part or a target of the special prosecutor? 
Um, I have no reason to believe so. Now, on the other hand, I've been a friend and an advisor to Donald Trump for almost 40 years. Uh, I have written many, many, many emails and memos to Donald Trump and the Trump campaign uh, with political advice. It's not unreasonable to assume that Mr. Mueller and his cohorts would want to examine my communications for the Trump campaign. Do you concede, however, that there have been some inconsistencies in what you have said about WikiLeaks during the campaign, for example, you did make an indication that you were in contact with Julian Assange. It was purportedly said to be direct contact, but you later then walked that back. Do you concede that there has been some inconsistencies? No, I think there's been some clarifications. In fact, I think Anderson Cooper said it right on CNN when he interviewed me last Friday night. I've been amazingly consistent. When I claimed communications, I made it clear that that was through an intermediary, what we call a confirming source in journalism. I was, remember, covering this campaign for InfoWars. Now, um, my prognostications change somewhat, but that's because my information and my sources change over the course of the year. The bottom line remains the same. Assange is not a Russian, but even if he were, I received nothing from him. I had no advance notice of the source content or the exact timing of the WikiLeaks disclosures, uh, and I never passed anything on to Donald Trump or the Trump campaign. So let me when ask- Donald Trump says, well, let me just finish, when Donald Trump says, Russia, if you have these emails of Hillary Clinton's, release them, we're not even referring to the same emails. That refers to emails that Assange never had and never published, according to what we know today. So let me ask you point blank, have you ever spoken to Julian Assange? I have not. Have you ever back-channeled with any employee of WikiLeaks? I I have not. I have disclosed the one uh, confirming source I had. Remember, Assange goes on CNN in June and says, in essence, that he has a huge catch of material on Hillary Clinton. This is not exactly a state secret. Many, many journalists and many in politics are speculating as to what that information is, my own sources tell me it's devastating, but I still don't know the specifics. I originally was told by a source at Fox that he would release this material in September. I actually predicted that. I turned out to be wrong. In the end, he, as you know, uh, publishes the information in October, and it is devastating, exactly as I and others had predicted. Let me ask you this question. Do you think you would be considered a friend or a foe of Russia? Well, considering that my own relatives were run down by Russian tanks in Budapest in 1952, the fact that I got into American politics and was attracted to the candidacies of Barry Goldwater and Ronald Reagan because of their communism, uh, I'm an opponent of Russia and the Russian system. I oppose all totalitarianism. So this at the same time, however, at the same time, however, that does not mean I want to go to war over Syria, Syria, where on one hand you have Assad propped up by the Russians, financing Hezbollah, financing Hamas, and worse, and on the other side you have ISIS and a dozen other Islamic terrorist groups. To me, this is not worth a drop of American blood or a borrowed American dollar. I'm not in favor of war. It doesn't mean I'm pro-Russian. As one of Donald Trump's closest confidants and certainly someone that had a role in getting him elected, do you think he's been too soft on Russia? 
Well, we're selling the Ukrainians offensive weapons that the Russians object to. We have uh, we've enacted sanctions against uh, the circle of oligarchs who are closest to uh, to um, uh, Vladimir Putin. Uh, no, I think his response has been about right. That doesn't mean I want to go to war over Syria. But, but he, he has been. Idea. But Roger, he has been overly. Uh, complimentary to Vladimir Putin, and although I will, I will declare that he has seemingly walked that back in the last couple of days. Uh, the Russians, last time I checked, were in possession of thermonuclear weapons capable of destroying every square inch of America. The president has an obligation to negotiate with them. You don't begin negotiations by kicking your adversaries in the derriere. It makes no sense. What good does overheated rhetoric do you? In fact, when the president was tough on the North Koreans, we were warned that his saber-rattling was going to cost us World War III. You know what it achieved? Real serious peace talks between the Koreas. So, no, I don't think that it's wise for the president to bash the Russians, although I don't know how anyone looking at his comments and policies over the last 60 days can say that he's soft on Russia. Roger, I wanted to ask whether you're a friend or foe of Russia or how they would perhaps position you, because in Christmas, uh, around the time of Christmas 2016, you have claimed that you survived an assassination attempt, a radioactive polonium poisoning. Who was behind that? Uh, It's hard to know. I most definitely was poisoned. Uh, The doctors believe that it had some radioactive um, aspect to it. Weeks after that, I was also the victim of a hit-and-run accident. Um, where I was broadsided by a car with smoked-out windows and no license plates, or a fake license plate, I should say. No, I think that it is ironic that both events happen immediately after it is announced that I am going to be dragged to Washington to testify in this Russian collusion inquiry. So um, perhaps there are those who think that it would be better if I didn't testify, uh, but I'm mystified. I've never been that sick. I had, you know, uh, spiking fevers, night sweats, uh, no appetite for 30 days. I lost a substantial amount of weight, lesions all over my face and body. It was not a pleasant experience. I'm an adversary of the Russian system, but I'm also not in favor of another foreign war where our inherent national interests are not clear. Now, what we saw last month in London was that a former Russian spy and his daughter were seemingly poisoned uh, in a British town, and the British government has pointed to Russia as being responsible for that. There is an eerie pattern of people being poisoned. Is it possible that Russia may have wanted you eliminated? Well, either that or someone who wanted me eliminated and wanted it to look like the Russians did it. I mean, there's all kinds of intrigue here. By the way, just for the record, even the poisoning in London is unproven to have been done by the Russians. Just like this uh, this assertion uh, yesterday that Assad gassed his own people. Here's what I do know after 40 years in politics. People don't do things that aren't in their interests. Assad is frankly making progress against ISIS why would he gas his own people knowing that it would bring down the entire international community on him, as well as embarrassing the Russians, his patrons, who have asserted that he does not, uh, you know, he does not have uh, gas weapons. This is now the second time. The, even the Trump administration now admits that the first time that he had been um, 
you know, that he had gassed his own people is unproven. But it is true at the just months uh, before uh, you were seemingly poisoned, you had said on the record several times that you believed at the time that Russia was most likely the source for the hacked emails that were released during the Democratic National Convention. Would that not give the Russians motive to want to have you eliminated? Um, theoretically, I also, as you know, changed my mind about that, which I wrote and said, again, in politics, things change. Things don't remain constant. And when you get updated and new information, you act on that information. So, yes, there was a period in which I believe the mainstream media narrative that the Russians hacked the DNC. Then, frankly, for a while, I believe that this, uh, I don't know if it's an individual or an entity, Guccifer 2.0, that he had hacked the DNC. Now, based on an enormous amount of forensic information, I don't believe the DNC was hacked at all. I think it's more likely this information was loaded to a portable drive, a zip drive, or some other portable device and taken out the back door. From Again, some, when the fact... From somebody from somebody in the DNC. That, I think that's the most likely scenario. So, uh, here's... The people who insist that Julian Assange is a Russian asset and that WikiLeaks is a Russian front are the exact same people who said that there was no metadata collection program on the American people until Edward Snowden proved that that was a lie and the government wasn't telling the truth. Uh, sorry to say, but I think our agencies have been politicized. How is it possible today that you can read in the newspapers the transcripts of the president's conversations with the president of China? How is it also How is it also not possible? How would it leak that? How is it also not possible that the greatest law enforcement agencies in the world here in the United States are not able to establish how those emails were released? Well, they can. But let's recall the FBI was never allowed to examine the Democratic National Committee servers and you cannot uh, you cannot reach a conclusion without an investigation. The DNC refused to let the FBI examine their servers. They were instead examined by CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike is a partisan operation. That's like the Democratic National Committee investigating itself. We do not know the truth of where these emails came from. President Trump talks about draining the swamp in Washington, D.C. There seems to be blood in the water, if you like, blood in the swamp. People uh, want to bring down the president, want to bring down the office of the presidency. Roger Stone, if you were to make a prediction six months from now, where do you see the Mueller investigation going? And where do you see President Donald Trump? Well, the fact that the economy is growing uh, at 3%, unheard of under Barack Obama, where the best we could ever do is averaging one and a half points in GDP, uh, the fact that we are on the cusp of what could really be a peace deal in North Korea, um, I think the president is only gaining strength. Now, you cannot underestimate the deep enmity of the political establishment and the two-party duopoly that has run the country for the last 30 years, or their resolve to remove this president. Six months from now, I think uh, the president will be even stronger than he is today. I think the country will be more prosperous and safer than it is today. And I think at the end of the day, Mr. Mueller's investigation will provide nothing. There is no Russian collusion. It's a myth, a fairy tale, a canard, a delusion, if you will. Roger Stone, thank you very much for your time.
Delighted to be here. Two fascinating stories there. Roger Stone. Well, who would have thought that he would make the allegation that he was poisoned during the course uh, of last year around Christmas time? A stunning allegation. And also stunning allegations from that brave whistleblower, a former US Army sergeant, uh, Ronald Logan, who came forward here on All Rise to discuss for the first time uh, his harrowing ordeal and what led him to attempt suicide in October 2013. It is now the subject of a US military criminal investigation. These are the kinds of stories that we tackle each and every episode on All Rise. This has been All Rise, Season 1, Episode 2, the only podcast with the guts to tell it like it is.